if you will remain standing for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 31. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Committed Christians in the United States are facing increasing ridicule. Some of that is because of the moral failure of our leaders and our congregants. Some of it's because of our undying political partisanship. When considered, some of the criticisms should be uh, necessary to hear and perhaps even respond to with repentance. However, there is some criticism that we face today because of the two-part event that we celebrate this holy weekend. That two-part event is, of course, the cross and the resurrection. And some uh, ridicule the resurrection as being wishful thinking, the uh, hopes of those that wish for a better life in the future, but with no substance on which to stand. And others ridicule the cross, which we celebrate, of course, tonight, as being evidence that Christians do, in fact, worship a bloodthirsty God. Even inside some of our churches, some of the traditional teaching on the cross has been called divine child abuse or a license for abuse. Still others of us uh, carry around the cross around our necks with little appreciation or understanding of its meaning. Uh, the cross as a piece of jewelry is a strange thing if you think about it for a moment. Um, Anyone within the lifetime, within a generation or two of the lifetime of the early apostles uh, would have thought that wearing a cross around our neck would be akin to what wearing or putting a, a gas chamber, a picture of a gas chamber on a mantelpiece would be today. It, was be, it would be strange. And today I want to leave the, the criticisms of the resurrection to the Sunday preachers 
and focus on the meaning of the cross. You see, I don't intend to stand up here and actually let the belittling of the beautiful cross uh, take place without at least trying my best to help you understand the importance and the deep value of that cross for our story. It's not just an empty symbol. It's not simply something that we hold fast to because it's the foundation of our faith. No, it has deep and rich meaning for us. And I want to make sure that we understand that meaning today. I want to help, in particular, uh, you understand why the cross uh, itself wasn't overkill. I mean, after all, I mean, why wouldn't any death have done? Why did the cross need to be the way that Christ died? And that's the burden of my sermon tonight, because there are other passages in Scripture that do a great job of actually showcasing why it was necessary that Christ be sinless to atone, that is, cover over our sins. The book of Hebrews, for example, does a great job at showing us why we needed a better priest, why we needed an ultimate and final sacrifice to once and for all take care of our sins, and why we needed a Savior to enter into the most holy place as an anchor for our souls. The book of Hebrews does that very well. Uh, the book of 1 John uh, tells us why we need uh, why we needed God himself to actually be the one that died on the cross, that it actually could not have been some normal human being that could save us. In fact, it took God to do that very thing. And those are very important points, that we in fact needed uh, a perfect sacrifice, and we needed God himself to make that sacrifice for us. But the burden of my passage and the burden of my sermon tonight is to look in particular in particular at the cross of Jesus and say why was it that the means of execution the cross is made such a big deal out of in early Christianity in the in the New Testament letters the cross seems to take on special meaning for the early church especially in our passage today you see God took what the Jews and Gentiles of Jesus' day meant for evil and made it into great good. And God, in his foreknowledge, meant the crucifixion for Christ. And the question I have is why? Why the crucifixion? And today's passage is going to help us with that. And again, I want to emphasize that today's passage goes about helping us see this a little differently than other passages do. Uh, typically in the New Testament letters, what you see when we examine the cross is the problem that we have is presented, our lack of righteousness, our need for obedience, our need for a, for a better sacrifice is presented, and then the author takes time to explain how the cross meets that need. Uh, the way that the Apostle Paul actually works in his letter tonight is the, a little different than that. What Paul does is he looks at the cross and says, aha, I realized I needed that too. Uh, I didn't realize I needed that, but the cross shows me uh, what I needed in the first place. To help you illustrate the difference, I want to make sure that uh, you, you grasp this because it's important to everything that I'm going to say tonight. Um, Agape Chicago uh, has had a new administrative assistant for the last eight to ten months. I've been working with him and I've been enjoying that work quite a bit. And we approach things very different. Uh, evidently, I'm not the best administrator, or not an A-plus a administrator. Who knew? Um, and so what happens when we get together and we talk about something like throwing an event, I usually come up with this idea. I say, hey, why don't we throw a grill out and invite all of our neighbors to it? It'll be the greatest thing ever. Uh, we'll love it, and they'll love it too. 
And uh, my administrative assistant, Ralph, uh, he'll usually start asking questions about, okay, do we need to get a permit? Uh, do, we, do we put out uh, paper invites or we do it electronically only? Uh, how are we going to get the grills there? Where's the food coming from? How are we going to clean up? And he asked all these questions, and we uh, set about the process of figuring out how to address the problem. Good way to do it. However, there's another way that Ralph addresses these issues, and that it way is sometimes he just does the work. And I look at it and I say, oh, man, great idea. Uh, he puts... He embeds invitations into an email. He puts a new database together or, or fixes an old database. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's what I needed. And what I'm telling you is that the Apostle Paul, when he looks at the cross of Jesus, he looks at it and he says, ah, oh, yes, we needed that. That's what we needed. And my burden is to help express what Paul saw in the cross tonight. And the, the way that I want to convey or present uh, what Paul sees in a simple idea is this, is that God conveys confidence through the cross of Christ alone. God conveys confidence to you. Uh, you have no other foundation of confidence except in the cross of Christ. Uh, if you want confidence for anything, it needs to come through Jesus. And I'm going to show you three different ways that God conveys confidence through the cross alone. First, I'm going to show you confidence in God's wisdom. Confidence in God's wisdom. Read with me again 1 Corinthians 1.18. It says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now Paul's point isn't that there is some secret knowledge that people have that are being saved, uh, nor is it that there's some uh, secret passageway like an escape room or something like that that the cross offers that some people can somehow get and some people somehow miss. Uh, rather, he is saying that the cross has always been a scandal. It's always been folly to those that do not believe. It was folly then just as it is now, like I mentioned at the very beginning. In the second century, uh, there is a wall on a wall that we have a picture of where there is a man being crucified, worshipped by a Roman soldier, and the man being crucified is obviously Jesus, but he has the head of a donkey. You see, the cross has always been folly to people, and so I must say it again and again and again. We wouldn't have invented this way of death for Jesus if we wanted to make a, a big PR push for him. It wouldn't have gone that way. We would have looked at that and said, God, can you come up with a different plan? The crucifixion is going to be hard to actually get people to jump on board with. They're not going to like that at all. But yet, Paul insists... Paul insists that this is the very thing we needed, that the cross was the very thing that we needed. How so, Paul? Help me understand. Why is it necessary? He explains further in verse 21. He says this, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. This is how this verse is working. So God, he knows you. He knows me. Perfect knowledge, right? 
Uh, he knows that we were created to have fellowship and intimacy and love for God, just like a lawnmower was created to cut grass. That's what we're made for. That's our design. We can't actually flourish or enjoy life or be what we're supposed to be if we don't actually have that fellowship with God. But since we have become sinful and rebellious, every single inclination that we have is to try to do life, to try to do uh, everything in our power to live apart from God. And God knows this about us, knows that this is our inclination, knows that even though you were given a mind, a body, a soul, everything was given to you by God so that you could enjoy Him forever, and yet you use it for different purposes. God looks at us. God looks at us and he sees our inclinations and knows that our inclination is like, is like the inclination of a son whose mother gives him a car and he decides to take a bat to it because he thinks this is for target practice or for actually learning how to do some demolition. You see, we don't even know what we're for anymore. We don't even know what we're for anymore. And God confounds our wisdom. He confounds your knowledge. He confounds your ability to perceive truth, to even trust, to trust that you can make sense of your senses. You see, you can trust your senses, but you can't make sense of your senses apart from the wisdom of God. And God has confounded us. And the cross is the end of how that is confounded. Uh, Paul will make a contrast here between the wisdom of this age and the wisdom of the Greeks and the Gentiles and the folly of the cross and how that reveals the wisdom of God. And why Paul makes this point is because in that world, just like in our world still, the Greeks were known for their great wisdom. Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, you heard of them? I know you have. You're smart people. Their wisdom was incredible. They laid a foundation for philosophy that's still being used today. And all of the best human pursuits of wisdom that we have enjoyed haven't really done a whole lot better at getting us what we need, has it? World peace. Forget world peace, just being able to get along with the person right next to you. We don't have what we need in and of ourselves. And God actually has confounded us in his wisdom because he knows if he gave us the wisdom to find a way to save ourselves and to come to knowledge of God ourselves, we wouldn't use it. We, we would come to the source of wisdom and knowledge and say, oh, okay, I'm going to go another direction. And the cross, the cross screams again, you can trust your senses, but you cannot make sense of your senses apart from the cross. I don't care if you have a PhD from Northwestern. Congratulations, if you have, by the way. I'm very impressed. I'm not diminishing that you're intelligent. I'm just saying that even with that type of insight, with that type of knowledge, what you need most, you cannot find. And the cross is both an exclamation point and the gateway to... It's the exclamation mark of our lack of wisdom, and it's the gateway to true wisdom. First, the exclamation point. Let's look, just as uh, Paul has been contrasting the Greeks and the Gentiles and, and uh, wisdom with the power and signs that the Jews seek, I want to help you see the, 
the main players, the Gentile players in the story of the crucifixion and their lack of wisdom. Uh, consider Pontius Pilate. He was a governor, a, a pagan governor set up by the Romans to govern and lead. He was supposed to be a wise man. But when the crowds yelled, crucify, crucify, he released an insurrectionist and a traitor, Barabbas, and decided to have the king of all kings, crucified. As Jesus was led down the streets by Roman soldiers, they were devoted to Caesar while they were getting ready to massacre the king of the universe. And the Romans themselves, the ones that designed that cross, the cross that was used to humiliate and destroy and say to every single person that ever died on a cross, we hope you realize we wish you never existed. They were getting ready to crucify the God of the universe. And there's your exclamation folks, uh, point, folks. We looked at God and we said, we wish you had never existed. That's our wisdom. The cross confounds whatever wisdom you think you have apart from God and says, come find it in the Lord of all, God, uh, the Lord of all nations. You see, the cross doesn't simply say that God's going to send you a message or even a messenger or even a martyr. But God decided to send us the king that would become a mutilated Messiah to show us, look at what you'll do in your own wisdom. Now come and try to find true wisdom through faith. The cross does say you cannot make sense of your senses without it. It's for a good reason that our famous song, Amazing Grace, says, I was lost, now I am found. It doesn't say, I was lost, but I found God, right? We couldn't even find ourselves, folks. And that's what the cross screams at us. And it screams, stop trying to find God in your own vain pursuits. Stop leaning on your own understanding. We don't have the info, we don't have the brains, we don't have the skills. We need grace, we need the wisdom that comes from God alone. And we can have confidence because of the cross that God has given us that wisdom through faith to show us exactly what he wants. Come, trust me again. But we don't simply have confidence in God's wisdom. We also have confidence in God's power. Reread verse 18 with me. Note, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Note, the contrast isn't between folly and wisdom, but between folly and power. That is, the cross seems like foolishness to so many, but in actuality, throughout the generations, as people have looked at the cross and said, stupid, ridiculous, why was that necessary? God has been saving millions and now billions of people through that cross throughout the years. Fo folly? No way. You see, the power of God is revealed in the cross. He has been rescuing us. We're here tonight because of the rescue of the cross. It's the power of God at its greatest. At the end of this reading, God will say that he is making a new creation. And the creation that comes from the cross isn't a creation ex nihilo from nothing, like at the very beginning. But it's a creation from the depths of death. The, 
the destruction of the crucifixion. God brings life out of the worst. And that showcases God's power to the utmost. You see, in this passage, Paul will compare again the power that so many seek and so many are accustomed to. And he'll talk about the Jewish desire for signs and signs of power and showcases of power. And how the cross is contrasted with that. And you can see how Jesus himself, even during his ministry, related to the Jewish desire for signs of power in some interesting ways. Because Jesus, of course, did some incredible signs and miracles, didn't he? Raised people from the dead, gave sight to the blind. We recognize that. At the same time, there were other moments where someone said, Jesus, show me a sign. He said, I'm not giving you any sign but the sign of Jonah, which is to go repent and turn to God. Uh, Jesus was not in the business of being someone else's tarot card reader or local magician. He didn't come to prove his power. Rather, he came that his power might heal and bring life and bring goodness to us. I want you to see the difference here. Jesus would even tell people sometimes when he healed them, don't go tell anybody else. And there were many reasons that he did this, but one of those reasons was so that they might understand that the kingdom of God comes in power, but a different type of power. It wouldn't come through signs and miracles because that way didn't work, did it, for the Jewish people, for God's people. You see, God had already, through great signs, delivered the Jewish people out of out of Egypt through a a great many miracles, a great many plagues and miracles, parting a sea, and then led them uh, to the promised land through a cloud of fire. And after military victories that are unexplainable and many different greater signs, God, God had shown himself to be powerful and wonderful in their midst, and it still didn't do the trick. It still didn't do the trick. It did not, as the song just said, turn our hearts back to God. The power of signs and miracles did not work, but the power of the cross does and will. Now, why is that? Why is that? Notice that in this, uh, in this reading that actually the cross is called a stumbling block to the Jews. That word is the Greek word scandalon, meaning it's a scandal. It's, it's unthinkable in the Jewish mind that the Messiah himself would have died on the cross. You see, that's, that's the hard part. Um, and I want to connect this with the power. I'm getting there, by the way, if you're thinking, how did you connect this with power? I, I promise. I'm coming back to it. Um, when you see the resurrection, you see that's got to be the hardest part for the Jewish people to believe, right? Some, some guy came back from the dead. Well, actually, people had come back from the dead before. Elijah had done it. Elisha had done it. Things like that had happened. And even Jesus had brought people back from the dead. Uh, that would have been incredibly hard to believe for sure, but not the hardest thing to believe. Uh, the hardest thing to believe was not that someone came back from the dead, but that a crucified man came back from the dead. That a man who died on a cross to the Jewish mind would come back from the dead seems absolutely unthinkable. Why? Because the Jewish people knew that in God's law it says that anybody who is hung on a tree, who dies on a tree, is accursed by God. You want to know who God hates? Look at the cross. Anybody who dies on a cross in the Jewish mind, oh, that's someone that could not be uh, loved by God and certainly couldn't be a Messiah. And now, the Apostle Paul is looking at this scandalous event and saying not only was he 
the Messiah. Not only was he God, but he atones for our sins. He covers it all. He's done everything. Everything that we need, this person had found. And, and Paul is having his aha moment with the cross. You see, in the, in the Jewish mindset, uh, there were two major, uh, major people in their ideas, or two major groups of people, that there were all sorts of prophecies around. The Messiah and the suffering servant found mostly in Isaiah 40 to about 55. And that suffering servant and Messiah were two different sorts of people in their mind. And in fact, many different people assumed that the suffering servant was Israel themselves after having gone through so many exiles and difficult times. The Messiah and the suffering servant couldn't be the same person. And what Paul is telling us here is that the scandal of the Christian faith is that actually the suffering servant and the Messiah are one. For how how could a Messiah cover over sins? How could a suffering servant cover over sins if that person were themselves sinful? The Messiah and the suffering servant needed to be one. And going, Paul is going, aha, I see. The Messiah has come. He has healed my sins. And he's brought a new type of power into the world. You see, the, the cross and the resurrection do go together, right, folks? I can't separate the two. It's like a, a ham and egg sandwich. I was always going to have ham and egg no matter what. And this weekend is always going to have the cross and the resurrection together. But the power of God is shown is shown in rise, bringing back a crucified person and vindicating him as actually the one who took the curse upon himself that could not be taken on by Israel, that could not be taken on by any man but God. Such is the power of the cross. And that transforms the way that we view power now. The way that we view power now has to change forever. You see, power for us is about someone dominating someone else. In fact, Paul will joke later in 1 Corinthians that he was probably out of his mind for not coming to them when he was angry with a whip. And that's the way that we're used to actually changing people's minds and changing people, right? You, you put them in line through laws, through whips, through using your power, and that sort of thing. The Apostle Paul is saying that the cross gives us a different type of power and it's the sort of power that we need in a world where so many people are consumed with the next political election, where there is so much power struggle happening in our workplaces, in our marriages, in our friendships, and where the injustice piles up and up and up and up. We need a different type of power. We need the power that the cross alone can show us. It's the type of power that serves. This is the power that we needed. And as we're being saved, we're experiencing this power and giving it out to different people. As we're being saved, this power is transforming the world. It's a power that we needed to make sure that others could experience it like we do. Now, God gives us power and he gives us wisdom through the cross of Jesus Christ. But he gives one last thing. Confidence in God's unity. Confidence in God's unity. And this is important uh, to understand that why in the world was Paul talking about the cross in this way? He's in the midst of a discussion about divisions that have taken place within the church, uh, churches that he's writing to. And what's happened with these divisions is some people like this guy named Apollos, and some people are really gravitating towards Paul himself. Evidently, Apollos was the kind of flashy guy, uh, the, the well-dressed one, the charismatic one, and Paul was kind of your deep one that maybe stumbled over his words a little bit. 
and that sort of thing. And, and people were gravitating towards one or the other. And Paul came to the situation and said, listen, folks, uh, let's drop these divisions. Let's drop this way of, this human religious way of thinking about things. Get out of your cliques. Get out of your, uh, your silos where you just listen to people that think exactly like you or vote the way you do or like this leader or that leader. Let's get out of that and let's get back together again because of the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, Paul makes very clear the power and the, and the wisdom of the cross and its ability to unite us in verses 26 through 29. He reminds us, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. His point is, before the cross, all these folks that he's writing to, you, you folks were nobodies, really. You weren't, you weren't going to the Harvard in Rome or the, the Yale in Athens. Uh, you didn't have the high-level jobs. Uh, you were nobodies. But look at what the cross has done. It was a nothing in the world's eyes, and it has made you all something. It has made you a people that have been cleansed, that have been justified, that have been free, chosen by God. Chosen by God. That's what you are because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that work, that work of the cross levels the playing field. What, what more are you going to add to that? Uh, your degrees, your, your, your salary, uh, your, what are you going to add to the actual wisdom and power of God? Uh, give it a try. You won't find anything that will work. I promise you that. And what Paul does is he shows us where true equality comes from and therefore true unity. Uh, we live in a world right now uh, obsessed with equality and justice. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, that's not a bad thing. It's like a good, very good thing, actually, to care about equality and justice. But I want to tell you that any type of pursuit of equality and justice apart from the cross of Christ will not work. It won't work. Uh, there are two ways I typically see people trying to unite people to try to pursue equality and justice. And one of those is through deposing those who are in power, taking down the powerful and redistributing power. We, we know what that looks like. Another way is to obliterate distinctions, to say things or, or imply things like uh, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, male, female, rich, poor, white collar, blue collar. Those things don't exist in the New World Order. Uh, obliterate these distinctions. Let's act like they're not real, and we'll find a more equitable society, a New World Order. And you, if you don't think this is out there, uh, I can expose you to it if you need help. And what the cross has done, what the cross has done is it doesn't redistribute power. Uh, true power belongs to God alone. And it doesn't obliterate distinctions, but rather celebrates distinctions and says, you know what, because of the wisdom and power of God, we can learn from one another no matter what our persuasions, where we've come from, what we've known in our life. We can all learn something from one another. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're all washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if you've got your PhD from Northwestern or if you had a hard time getting your GED, it does not matter. You see, you can learn from one another, actually. Uh, the doctor can learn from the plumber and vice versa. We 
are a people that have been unified by the cross, if we'll see it. What the cross has done is it's given us all wisdom, it's given us all power, and it doesn't matter whether you're the person on the stage or if you're the person that gets nervous while you're handing out bulletins that you won't have the right words to say. We all have access through the cross of Jesus uniquely to enjoy that wisdom and power that God can give. Uh, that means this, as you're sitting there, just, just kind of, you don't have to look around. I know people don't like to do those kind of manipula- manipulative things. But right next to you, I'm just going to tell you this. Uh, someone uh, that's sitting next to you has access to the wisdom uh, of, that actually created the universe and knows every single uh, molecule uh, in the universe and every single possibility for human existence ever. You're sitting next to someone who has access to the God of all wisdom, and you're sitting next to someone who's experienced through the cross and belief in that cross the power of the God who hangs the stars in the sky, folks. Do you realize who you're sitting next to? Do you realize what the cross has done for us all and the unity that it can bring us? Tonight, I care a whole lot about you being confident. And I've been using that word confident because in verse 31, uh, the Apostle Paul uses the word boast, and I, I think it's usually a negative word for us, but I want you to see it. Quoting, quoting the book of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, Paul says, Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that verse, when God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, says, let, that, let not the rich man boast in his riches, nor the wise man in his wisdom, nor the powerful man in his power, but that they know the Lord their God. I want to tell you, through the cross, you can know God. What greater confidence do you need? And as a fruit of this wisdom and power, I want to celebrate unity as I close. As I close, church, we're getting, we're getting ridiculed outside of here. Uh, people think this is silly what we're doing. You realize that, right? I uh, hate, to, hate to break your heart. I want us to see the opportunity we have if we will unite, see the wisdom and the power of the cross and work through our issues together. We have to, church. We have to. Church of Rogers Park, Church of Evanston, Church of Albany Park, don't disengage in this time. We can't do it. We can't. I want you to know that the cross has given us the tools we need to work through whatever conflicts we're facing. It has. It's given you the power of God and it's given you the wisdom of God. And that was given to you that we might be one. So let's walk in that. Let's pray. Father, I want to ask you for help tonight. I, I know that this wisdom, this power does not come from me. It comes from you. So give it to us on the cross. Help us to behold it. Help us to marvel. And let the cross continue to do the work it has always been doing, making your people healthier, better, stronger, truer to you. Make us true to you through your wisdom, through your power, and through the unity you bring. We pray in the name of Christ the King. Amen.